Well, good morning again. We're going to open our Bibles to the book of Ephesians this morning, and we're in chapter 4. We're going to be starting in verse 17, but before we do start, I want to ask a question. What if the life that you were now living was only a shadow of what really exists? The Greek philosopher, founder of the Academy at Athens, Plato, in his book, The Republic, he tells a story of these imaginary people who live, hopefully they're imaginary, they live down in a cave their whole lives. They were chained up. All they could do is stare at one wall. And as they stared at this wall, there were people who were walking behind them. They, they held up different things, um, and, and, and they walked by, animals walked by, all sorts of things came by. And as they came by, shadows were cast on the wall in front of these, these captives. And this is all they had seen their whole lives, shadows on the walls, and they'd hear the sounds, they'd see the dark, fuzzy images, and to them, that was life. That was all there is. That was reality. But what if someone broke into that cave? What if, what if someone came up to one of those captives and unchained him, and, and grabbed him, and yanked him out of that cave, and into the brilliant sunlight? What an incredible change that would be for that individual, right? All of a sudden, they're seeing the blue sky. The birds seemingly float on by in all their, their beauty. They're seeing leaves dance in the treetops as they're blown by the breeze. They see for the first time another human being's face and see that person smile back at them. Can you imagine what an incredible thing that would be? But think of what a tragedy it would be if that person, having been brought out into the light and now seeing life for what it really is, now instead of having conversations with people they passed by on the road, looking them in the eye, they instead look down at their shadow. And, and they start talking to the shadows rather than talking to people face to face. Or what's worse, what if every chance that they got, they snuck back into the cave and sat back down with the other captives just to watch the show on the wall? What a tragedy that would be, Right? You'd almost think that something, someone would have to have something wrong with their mind, wrong in the head, to go back and do that. It's, it's a sad thing for someone who has been brought out into the light, seen it for all that it is, to go back to the darkness. As we continue our series this morning in Ephesians, Paul's going to show us how how crazy it is to keep living the way that we once lived. And he begins to tell us what it means to be in the light. We're in the book of Ephesians, as I said just a few moments ago. We're in chapter 4, and we're going to begin reading together in verse 17. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Ephesians four, seventeen. 
Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So Paul says, stop living in darkness. Come into the light. Stop living the way the Gentiles live. The first half of his big idea, his big point this morning is, is essentially this. That those who have been recreated in Christ, they need to reject their old corrupt way of living. He writes, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of your minds. I think it's interesting that he uses this word Gentiles here. Certainly there were Jews who weren't worshiping Jesus that were not honoring God with their lives. But But I think the point he's trying to get across here is that the Gentiles, they were completely godless, completely blinded. They weren't even trying to follow God's law here. They were running after all sorts, well, every single desire that welled up within them. They're living in darkness. And this is where the people in Ephesus, the people who were in the church of Ephesus, that's where they once were. Heraclitus, the pre-Socratic Greek philosopher, native of the city of Ephesus, he wrote this about Ephesus. The darkness of vileness, the morals were lower than animals, and the inhabitants of Ephesus were fit only to be drowned. Those are harsh words from a fellow Ephesian. The temple in Ephesus, we've talked about that. That was the center of all sorts of perverse practices. And so perverse were they that that we won't even list them today because we don't need our minds to go there. But they they were practiced there and they became acceptable there. People were used to it. That's what happens at temple. And it was commonplace, much like a lot of perversion has become commonplace in our world today. We've got selfishness, self-exaltation, grotesque acts of violence, sexual perversion. All of that has taken tremendous strides, and, and a lot of it just in the past like 20, 30 years. It's incredible what's going on here. The content that can be pumped into our homes and even in the palm of our hands today would have been just unheard of a hundred years ago, maybe 40 years ago. But what's far more disturbing than the availability and prevalence of all of this these days is, is really the way it's tolerated and embraced by so many people who say that they're lovers of God who say that they're Christians. 
I mean, as long as we consider it art, right, it's in a different category. Or as long as it comes with a compelling story or awesome soundtrack or has a moral message to it, we'll gladly accept explicit scenes and let them fall onto our eyes and soak into our minds, right? I'm an adult. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't have any effect on me. What's the big deal? Well, I think if we consider the fact that God considered it such an offense that his anger burned against it, and as his anger burned against human sin, that he went to the greatest, the greatest lengths to save humanity by offering his own son as a sacrifice for this sin. If it was that big of a deal in God's mind, then how can we who say that we love God, want to be like Him, want to worship Him, how can we say that it's not a big deal to us, or it doesn't bother us? How can we sing praises to God, saying we want to know Him more, that we want to be made holy, like Him, and then turn right around and be entertained by the very things that he despises. Paul says, stop walking. Stop living like the Gentiles do. I think we could probably edit this, not that we will, but we could probably just say, stop living like 21st century Americans do. We have a history in our country, a certain morality that has existed for quite a while. And all of that is shifting in our world right now. I think Paul would get on board and say, don't live like 21st century Americans do. Now, there's, there were certainly those who were worse than others, right? Some may have been just outright menaces to society, probably locked up, banished, maybe even drowned like Heraclitus mentions. But others were probably likable enough types, right? They probably you know, ran their businesses, lived relatively respectable, peaceable lives. But we know, we know that when it comes to our relationship with God, that it really doesn't matter the degree of sin that we allow into our lives. In God's eyes, there's really only one degree of sin that is acceptable for his people, and that's no sin. He calls us to be perfect. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1.4, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he has called you as holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We tend to kind of take those words with a grain of salt, don't we? Yeah, we can assent to them. We can say, oh, yes, that is what we're... But, you know, then there's reality here. I remember in high school, I had a... a, a I don't want to say friend. Another Christian guy come up to me. He's like, hey, man, why, why, don't, you, why don't you swear in like the rest of us? You know, you're too good for us? What's the big deal? I was like, well, you know, I'm... I'm a Christian, I take this seriously. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian too, I go to church. But you know, come on, nobody's perfect, right? <laughs> Let cut loose. And I said, 
yeah, it's true, nobody's perfect. But that doesn't give me an excuse to be willingly imperfect. We weren't created in Christ Jesus so that we could live mediocre lives. We weren't created in Christ Jesus so that we could have five ounces of holiness, right? He wants us to be filled up to the top and overflowing, not a molecule of uncleanness acceptable in our lives. Paul pleads in Romans 6.11, he says, So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. And essentially he's saying here in Ephesians, stop living that way, the way that you used to live before you knew Jesus. Stop living that way as if you're still in darkness. Why would we want to go back there? It's dark, it's damp, it's futile, it's leading people to their doom. And not only that, we're cutting ourselves off from the goodness that we know in Jesus. Remember he said, I came that they might have life and life abundantly. Yeah, all right, we'll we'll take a little bit of life. And Jesus, you keep the rest. I'm going to go dabble over here. (laughs) They are darkened in their understanding, Ephesians 4.18 says, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of of heart. They have become callous, given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Notice as we read these words, there's a progression here. There's a progression that's happening. What you believe, it really does have a tremendous impact on how you live and what we become. First, there's a hardness of heart that takes place. It's a rejection of what we know to be true. It's a resistance to the God who created us. A defiance of the obvious, the way things clearly are, and we say, no, 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 I know they look that way, but we're going to do this. We're going to believe that they're this way. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1. In verse 18, he writes, Men by their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. They knowingly, they willingly do it. In verse 21, he continues, Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. Yeah, they knew who who should get the credit. Yeah, they knew who should be worshipped. And they said, no, we're not going to do that. In verse 28, it says, They did not see fit to acknowledge God. A hardness of heart. A resistance. A willing choice to say, no, we're not going that way. And what follows a hardness of heart you'll notice here in Ephesians, is darkness. It's darkness. Once we willingly did it and said, we don't want this, but then comes a clouding, a clouding of even our understanding of what is true anymore, what is untrue, what is right, what is wrong, and now we're having trouble discerning this. Once we knowingly acknowledged it, turned away from it, but now we're not sure what truth is anymore. In verse 17, Paul cites a futility to their minds. In verse 18, he says they're darkened in their understanding and then refers to this ignorance that is in them. After a hardened heart becomes a darkened heart, 
there's now a spiritual death that occurs. There's a, a judgment, a separation from God. He writes in verse 18, they're alienated from the life of God. Paul talks about that in Romans 1, that alienation. He describes it as actually something that God does. It comes from God. It's a response to human sin, a hardness of heart and living in darkness. And God alienates them. It says in verse uh, 24 of Romans 1, Therefore, God gave them up. I can't think of more tragic words. He gave them up. I'm done here. We let them go. Verse 26, he says, for this reason, God gave them up. Verse 28, he says it again. God gave them up. And once that happens, we're free. We're free. This is what so many people have been wanting. They've been waiting for. We're free to run after all sorts of depravity, to run after all sorts of reckless indulgence. We are free. In Ephesians 4.19, he writes, they become callous. They've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And then back at Romans 1, he lists off impurity, dishonorable passions, shameless acts. They do what ought not be done. All manner of wickedness. And then he starts listing them in verse 29, Romans 1, 29. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips. It's interesting how some of the, the, the sins that we weight so heavily and then the ones that we're like, ah, that's not, eh, that's not quite as bad. It's all lumped together here, isn't it? They're gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. This is life in the shadows. With darkened minds that have knowingly rejected the truth, the world, it becomes, it becomes fuzzy, it becomes clouded. And we think that we know the way to go. We think what will, we know what will bring us the most satisfaction, the greatest fulfillment. And we're so wrong. We're so wrong. And we see the effects of it in our world today. Perhaps maybe you've seen the effects of it even in your own life. I see the effects of it in my life. There are plenty of lies that I bought into. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. <laughs> but we need to follow our dreams. We need to follow our hearts, right? I mean, how can it be wrong when it feels so right? Our world is telling us that the healthiest thing that we can possibly do is look inside, examine ourselves, try to understand what are those natural desires within us, identify those deep cravings inside our souls, and then do everything that we can to fulfill them. That's how you're going to be whole. That's how you are going to be fulfilled. But Peter tells us those desires, those very dreams... Those are the things that are going to kill you. 
You run after those things, and those are going to be your undoing. They're making war against you, he writes in 1 Peter 2.11. I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, that is, if you're a Christian now, you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ, you have this new identity, and you don't belong in this world anymore. They're running after all sorts of different things. They're living in darkness. But if you go back, that's who you were before. That was your identity But that's not your identity anymore. Those desires linger. But if you allow them to infiltrate your life and you indulge them, he says they wage war against your soul. But how can that be? How is that possible? I'm my own worst enemy? Will it be because the result of turning away from God is this darkened heart that speaks lies? Our hearts are constantly speaking lies to us, aren't they? Constantly. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. You and I can't follow our hearts because they're lying to us. They're leading us straight off a cliff. The last thing we should do is follow them. Don't continue in the shadows. Don't believe the lie. Don't continue to think and live the way you used to in your former life, your life before Christ. Stop going back to the shadows. These are the things that Paul's telling us here. It's the way you used to be, but not who you are now. Those who have been recreated in Christ, they need to reject their old corrupt way of living. We need to put that off. But that's not the end of the story here. That's not the end of what Paul is encouraging us towards. He wants us to take it off. He wants us to put it away. He wants to leave us to leave it forever. But he wants us to put on something as well. You've been recreated in Christ You need to reject your corrupt old way of living and you need to enthusiastically embrace your new life in Christ. Notice how he chooses his words very carefully here in verse 20. He writes, that is not the way you learned Christ. It seems a little awkward. You would think that he would say, that's not the way you learned about Christ. You know, there are plenty of people who know a lot of of things about Jesus, a lot of things about the Bible, but that doesn't really make any difference in their lives and will not save them. Paul says that's not the way you learned Christ. You learned Christ. There was something that changed here. It wasn't just a head knowledge. It was a relationship that you entered into with him. Those who are, have learned Christ, they know him personally. They trust him. They even now are learning from him as he's teaching them from his word. And, and they have his spirit inside of them. He's whispering to them. He's leading them. He's guiding them. See, coming to faith in Christ is about so much more than just assenting to a list of doctrines here. It's a life-altering event that fundamentally impacts who we are and how we live from that day forward. 
When we place our trust in Christ, God does something on the inside of us. He, he recreates us. Do you remember 2 Corinthians 5.17? Those who are in Christ, they're what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. To learn Christ is to be changed. It's to be changed. But what Paul is helping us understand here today is, yes, you have been changed, but there's also a call to change. There's a call that comes with it. God makes the change. He does something inside of you. His Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. But we're, we're called to embrace that change and live it out in our lives. And Paul assumes that the Ephesians already know that. Look at verse 21. He writes, Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. He's basically saying, I'm assuming that when you came to know the truth about Jesus, and you accepted him, and you embraced him, that you learned as well to put off that old life. It's like when I was in Kenya with Don Rogers, and Don had me preach to this hillside of people, hundreds of people in this small village, and he wanted me to give the gospel, and I just stumbled through it. I'm sure I made some mistakes here and there, and the translator, it was so such this awkward thing. And then uh, someone else came up and prayed right after that, and all of a sudden people stood up, and I thought it was time for people to leave. But Don comes over to me and he says, Jared, I want you to take all these new believers over here and I want you to tell them now how to live the Christian life. And it was like the majority of people came over here. And how am I supposed to tell hundreds of people now to live the Christian life? But that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying that yes, you trust in Jesus. There's a transformation that takes place. And then you go live it. You embrace it. This is who you are now. You step out of that cave. You are living in the light. You are no longer a creature of darkness. You're a creature of the light, and you live it to the full. Remember, according to chapter 2, verse 1, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's really dark, but that's the reality among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We were following our fleshly desires. We were running after whatever our hearts told us, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That's who we were. But verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We used to sit there, all chained up, staring at the wall, looking at shadows, perfectly content, perfectly happy, thinking, this is it. Oh, did you see that one over there? Oh, that's my favorite. I just get so much joy out of watching that shadow over there. But not anymore. If you've placed your trust in Christ and you've come to know him, you've been brought out of darkness into his marvelous light. So be done with that old way. Put it off. Your chains are gone. You've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed 
me. So live in the light. Live in freedom. I think it's important here to take note that this putting off the old self, it's really important for us to understand this isn't something that should be done gradually. It's not uh, like, you know, a bandage. You, you don't want to slowly rip that thing off. You want to get it off and be done with it, right? You want to make a clean break here. And the problem is that so many Christians like myself we tend to go slow, and, and we tend to dabble a little bit. I, I think we enjoy those shadows a little too much, and it's like, let's, let's wean ourselves off of them. Like when uh, my, my firstborn, we realized it was time for her to stop drinking bottles. And we were thinking about this, how are we going to do this? Because she loves those bottles. How are we going to transition to the big girl cup? Do we do it gradually? Do we just, maybe we, we'll give her a bottle in the morning, and then lunch, you know, we kind of do different things. And we decided that if we did that, that that was just going to confuse her. It was just going to delay the whole process. And really, it was going to make her want those bottles all the more. I had it a little bit, had a little taste this morning. I want, why can't I have it now? I want it, I need it. And, and, and it would just be this explosion. We realized, this has to be, we need to be done here. So we decided we just we got to talk to her. We got to tell her you're a big girl now. Big girls drink out of the big girl cup. Bottles are no more. Boom. And it was hard, but it was great. We were done. And it was the end. And that's what Paul is calling us to do. And it's really the only way. Dabbling, it really doesn't work for two reasons. I think there might be more, but these are two that I think about. Dabbling, one, it's the same as doing. You dabble in something, you're doing it. We like to justify our sin. And we like to say, well, you know, we're going to slowly wean ourselves. We're going to slowly get off of this. That's just another way of saying, I'm really not willing to give up my sin completely. At least not right now. Dabbling is the same as doing. Dabbling, also, it doesn't free us. It just binds us. It just binds us. We think that we're making ourselves more and more free. I remember my dad, when he was my Sunday school teacher, he did this illustration. He had us hold out our two fingers, and he had a string, and he wrapped it around one time, and he said, okay, try to break free of that string. And we're like, yeah, Dad, this is really lame. And we, you know. But now wrap it again and again and again and again and again. And pretty soon, we couldn't separate those two fingers. That's what dabbling does. We're just continuing in sin. We're just continuing to wrap our fingers one more time, locking ourselves in. Paul likens this whole process, he likens it to putting off old clothes and putting on new ones. When it comes to clothes, you kind of either you put them on or you don't. You take them off or you don't. You don't wear, like, one sleeve of a jacket. I mean, unless you're, like, three and you think it's cool. And you don't, like, stick one toe into a sock and walk around that way. You don't do that. You either you put it on and, and you wear it. And people see you in those clothes. This is, this is part of your identity now. It's, it, it changes how you look. Take off that old stuff and put on the new stuff. And we've got to have another qualification here. I don't want us to take this the wrong way. Paul's not saying that if you say you're, you're in Christ, 
and you're now taking off that old self, and now you're putting on the new self, and you're good. He's not saying that. I think one of the reasons Paul comes so strongly at this is because he knows that this is an ongoing thing, that this is going to be a journey here, and we are going to strive for holiness. We are going to continually, each and every day, make the decision to take that off. And sometimes we're going to make that decision well. Other times, we might, we might forget. Other times, we might be in a moment of weakness, and we might leave it on. There are going to be times where Christians stumble. The, the goal is holiness. The goal is perfection. But that doesn't mean that they live perfectly right now. God's in the process of refining us outwardly of ridding ourselves of that flesh. He's changing our lives so that we look more and more like Jesus. You remember a few months ago I talked about that 1969 Toyota Land Cruiser, that beat-up old thing that I got in college? The previous owner, he didn't take much care of it. He kept it running, but the paint started. This isn't an actual picture of it, but it looked just like the same color. The paint was a lot worse. There was more rust. I I think the mirror was broken off. It was just a mess. And... When I purchased that car, its destiny changed. It was now mine. And it was now going to receive all the TLC, the tender loving care that I could possibly give this thing, which wasn't very much. But I poured into it. I loved it. I changed the paint color. I I worked on the engine. I did the brakes. All those different things. But it ended up breaking faster than I could fix it. And I I eventually just said, ah, we're done here. And I let it go. Thank God that Paul is not saying that God gives up on us like I gave up on that car. He doesn't give up on us. We're here, not, we're his, not because we impressed him with our clean lives or our potential to be super Christians or anything like that. We're his simply because of the goodness of Jesus. The good deeds that Jesus performed and his sacrifice on the cross. Paul's saying, you're now his. So live like it. Believe it. Be it. Live it. How do we put on Christ? Look at verse 23. He says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Remember we talked about the progression of toward depravity? And it started with this hardness of heart, a rejection of God. And that led to a darkness of mind which resulted in alienation. But when you and I place our trust in Jesus Christ, a great reversal begins. And it begins with a heart transformation, doesn't it? God said, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And as he softens our hearts, he begins bringing us out of darkness into his marvelous light, like Peter says in 1 Peter 2.9. And like prisoners, we're being brought up out of the cave to see the beauty of the world for the first time. God's recreated us and brought us into the light. But the transformation, it doesn't end there. It doesn't stop there. We have a part in it. There's a cooperation that's supposed to happen here. Paul calls us to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. 
after turning from the lies, putting away that old life, we're to fill our minds with truth. And as we fill our minds with that truth, we're beginning, we put on that truth and we start practicing it. We start living it. As we fill our minds with God's word, we're better equipped to put on Christ. I like what Warren Wiersbe wrote. He said, as the mind understands the truth of God's word, it is gradually transformed by the spirit and this renewal leads to a changed life. Physically, you are what you eat. But spiritually, you are what you think. If you and I were let out of that cave and brought into the world of light and seen it for the very first time, I'm sure there's a lot that we would need to discover, a lot that we would need to learn, and a lot that we would need to unlearn, Right? How do we most fully live in this new world that we're experiencing here? I never had to worry about how my face looks, how someone else looks at me. They see a scowl on my face. Oh, I'm getting that right. I've got to figure this out. New life has been given, and it's the same in our life with Christ. We've been brought up out of that darkness into the light, but our minds need to be filled with the truth of God's word. It needs to soak in. It needs to saturate our thinking so that we might better understand what it means to live like Christ and, and be better prepared to instinctively act in a Christ-like way, in a way that honors him. Those who have been recreated in Christ, they need to reject their old corrupt way of living, enthusiastically embrace the new life that they have in him. We're not the same anymore. Not the same. You and I are new creations. We've been brought out of darkness into the light. So let's live like it. Let's live like it. Let's never go back to the shadows doing all those things that we used to do before we knew him. And let's continually be on a mission to discover the good things we have in Christ. And let's be people who embrace the light. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come before you and we recognize that we are far from perfect. There's imperfection everywhere in this room, all over this campus. Our lives are in such need of transformation still, Lord. But thank you for doing the work inside of us that we might now desire a life of holiness. You've changed our hearts you soften them, Lord. You set them on a course that wants to please you. Lord, may what's going on inside, the work that you have done inside, lead us to transform the outside. Holy Spirit, would you work through the power of your word as you teach us, as we read it, as we're talking together and encouraged by one another and praying for one another, Lord, would you transform us to look more and more like Jesus. Give us the strength, Lord, to put off the old and lead us to joyfully put on the new. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness towards us, we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.